Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian and Kevin Olson back to what? What is this? The first distance recording we've had in probably half a year. <laughs> yeah, just about. Yeah, I'm back in Bakersfield. Kevin still in the Denver area, but we know how much you like this content. We see you engaging with it. It's getting views. It's getting numbers. So. We're trying to get you all that content still. If you're new to this segment, this is Basin Breakdown. We'll be giving you news for the month of July. Yes, it is August, but we go back through some of our favorite basins, find some of the biggest stories, and this month's content was in fact put together by our intern, Nick Fernhout. So shout out to Nick for getting this together, and I suppose we will just start out the way we always do over in Colorado, how much I miss it. Talking about the DJ Niobrera, First story, Chevron is poised to market responsibly sourced gas from Texas and Colorado. On the rise emissions control, Project Canary is helping Colorado and Texas oil and gas companies to greatly reduce their methane emissions. Chevron is one company that, thanks to Project Canary, will soon be offering responsibly sourced gas, RSG. Chevron will begin sale of RSG from its Permian and DJ Basin assets in the second half of 2022. Of all the companies that work with Project Canary to perform emissions testing, Chevron has scored the highest as of late. The certification involves continuous monitoring of individual wells by a third party, and this is not the first time we've heard of this company. I think it's great. Chevron, I think we talked about it two months ago, has been scoring very well through all of their emissions testing, so it's good to see that these large companies are, in fact, doing their part and not just passing it all off to someone else. So I'm happy to see this. And I am too. I just, I mean, there's there are two things that I kind of want to quickly touch on, Tavis. One is I still love the name. I mean, yeah. it's emissions control company, Project Canary. You know, you're getting gases in there and, you know, the canary is going to die. Um, <laughs> so I just, I, I love the name. We've talked about that before. But the second thing is, and you kind of touched on this on a few Monday Madnesses before, and, and we've talked about this on the base breakdown. It's just, I love the fact that, you know, Chevron is leading the way. But but here's the thing that people really have to understand it's those smaller operators are really going to struggle to try and keep up with the Chevrons in the world. They yep. just don't have the deep pockets to be able to um, kind of enforce, not enforce, but um, to try and be leading the pack in terms of emissions reductions. And I'm not saying that the small operators can't be doing this. I, I certainly think they can and they're going to. Um, but I, I love the fact that Chevron's leading the way. They're like, look, we have the deep pockets. We're able to do this. Let's show them how it's done. And they're just kind of leading by example. And I do think that that's fantastic. But up next, let's talk about the plan for 10 oil trains a day through Colorado on track for the administration's approval. Colorado railways may soon be seeing much more traffic in the coming years as discussion of opening them up to rail cars carrying crude from Utah's Uintica Basin are near fruition. Should the permit be given, oil and gas production in Utah would see a significant increase as transporting the product to refineries in the Gulf Coast region would become much easier. The proposed route includes running along the Colorado River, under a few tunnels, and through central Denver. This could mean an extra 10 two-mile-long trains traveling the route on a daily basis. Despite the pushback from over 100 environmental groups, the permit is expected to be approved in the next several months. And Tavis, you know, I really just don't get this one. <laughs> to be honest with you, I mean, pipelines have been proven time and time again to be the safest, most efficient and environmentally friendly way to transport crude from point A to point B. Rail is one of the worst. And we just said it's going to go along the Colorado River. It's going to go through two tunnels. It's going to go through central. De I mean, to me, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, 
don't get me wrong. I love the fact that they're trying to figure out ways to get more crude to these refineries. And, you know, that's really going to help, you know, the, the end user, us, um, in terms of prices. But here's the thing. Why are we using rail? Why are we using such an outdated technology? I just, it's almost frustrating, you know? It is frustrating. This is the result of those pipelines not being accepted. I mean, it says the environmentalists here are pushing back, but all of this oil has to be transported to the coast somehow. And like you said, the Colorado River, that's what stood out to me. If you have a two-mile train, for some reason have an accident and dump, what, several thousand barrels, not gallons, barrels worth of oil into that river, that would just be an environmental nightmare. Why not construct pipelines away from these waterways out in the middle of nowhere because there's plenty of western desert land to go through. I'm with you. This is just kind of frustrating. And, and kind of like you said, Tavis, you know, it falls into the Colorado River here, you know, outside of Denver, in the mountains of Denver, you know, Glenwood Canyon, let's say. Look at how far that crude is going to travel because there's no way to stop it. Yep. It's just, it's going to be, it's not going to be like a, an environmental disaster in, you know, a, a 10 square mile. It's going to take Colorado all the way to the coast and it's going to leave issues from A to Z, but we can move on. <laughs> and move on we shall. The next story, Colorado utility companies are planning a very rapid transition off of coal. In 2019, Colorado passed a law that sought to reduce GHG emission levels 90% by 2050 when compared to 2005 levels. The state's two largest utility companies were required by law to submit goals and plans to help meet the emissions goals. Three years later, the state is doing quite well even ahead of the plan. The next step is to wean the state off of coal power in the next decade. The effort will be led by Excel Energy and be instrumental in meeting climate goals. One plant will be converted to natural gas, and the rest simply retired. Excel will also begin to invest more heavily in wind and solar to make up for the lost power generation. I think this is a good way to move with this. Coal, compared to gas, so much worse, so much dirtier. We have the technology to burn natural gas, especially Excel. They're already doing it, so if we can transition these plants, great. Everyone's going to be happy. There's going to be decreased emissions, though I kind of want a quantitative analysis of how much power is coming online. I mean, are we going to supplement... 20% of that lost power with wind and solar. I might be a little bit worried about that, but honestly, this seems like a pretty level-headed approach with room to test and improve. I, I agree, Tavis. I think this is a great approach because, look, like you said, going from coal to natural gas, that's a huge step. But there's going to be certain individuals that are still unhappy with that decision, and I think that's why they're saying, okay, and that extra gap, wind and solar. Oh, just to and, appease and so it's, the it's, crowd. <laughs> it, not not so much just that is is Excel is kind of coming to the realization that we have and I mean I'm sure that Excel came to this realization long before we did is that there's this energy transition it's not going to be instantaneous from oil to wind solar geothermal fill in the blanks here there's gonna need to be some kind of middle ground and I think that middle ground needs to be made up for with natural gas as natural gas starts phasing out sure we can do more renewables more green energy new technologies that haven't even been developed yet. Um, so I think that they're just kind of staying committing and staying true to that true ESG movement with kind of that reality of, look, we still need natural gas. This is how we're going to pursue it. But enough of Colorado talk. Let's send it up to our neighbors to the north and talk about the Powder River Basin, where the first oil sales on public land under Biden bring in $22 million dollars. The first onshore oil and gas leases since Biden took office have officially happened. 
over $22 million was bid for 110 square miles of leases in several western states, most of which were in Wyoming. Production on these new leases will be taxed at the newly increased royalty rate of 18.75%, the first increase since the 1920s. Biden faced pressure from Republicans to resume leases in order to increase domestic oil production. He also faced pressure from Democrats to help the fight against climate change by limiting fossil fuel emissions. Ultimately, his hands were tied when the courts overruled his decision to pause the leases back when he first took office. Oh, I'm so happy for Wyoming. These poor, poor people locked up, not able to develop their 80% of federal lands within the state. Sure, the new agreements aren't as uh, financially attractive as they may have been in the past, but finally, some stuff can get done, some work can get moving. This is going to benefit a lot of people in the industry. I agree, and, and here's the thing, Tavis, and you kind of touched on this. Even if the end result isn't as attractive as it was in the past, it's a result, and that's still progress moving forward. And I think that's huge for Wyoming that's really been struggling and really fighting these regulations. Look at that, Tavis, $22 million. That's huge, mm -hmm. especially the when state. the total was zero for the past two years. <laughs> like, That's just crazy. Yeah. So I think this is going to be great. I'm excited to see what people do with this and if they continue or back out because they find it's not financially competitive. But either way, the Wyoming rig count is rising. Severance tax collections are up 75.6% in June amid high oil and gas prices. Higher gas prices aren't terrible for everybody. It's a sign of high oil prices, which works in favor of those selling the oil, namely producers within that state of Wyoming where 20 rigs were added in June. The state is also winning. It has collected an extra $34.2 in June compared to the amount collected that year prior, up 75.6%. More production means more workers. Over 700 jobs were added in the last year in the oil and gas industry alone. And while it may cost extra to fill up our vehicles, it has been a profitable few months for the industry and the state. You can see that through a lot of reports, and this, this is great. Like Kevin was saying, $22 million, that's a lot of money. That's going to funnel on top of this $34.2 million in just June, which is almost doubled from last year. That means growth is happening, and honestly, the primary driver is high commodity prices. So hopefully those people can continue to hold on to their jobs, and we can get the energy resources we need for sometime in the near future. Absolutely, but here's the thing. Wyoming is also one catastrophe away from severe gas price increases. Yep. One would expect that the oil and gas producing state of Wyoming would have some of the lower gas prices in the country. However, it too has been struggling helping its residents at the pumps. At a recent state panel, industry leaders warned of even higher prices should there be any issues such as refinery shutdowns. Such high gas prices would mean not only trouble for consumers, but also for the state. Much of Wyoming's revenue comes from oil and gas production, over half in fact. So higher priced gas means fewer people are willing to fill up and ultimately less revenue for the state. There are a few ways that the state is trying to combat this, such as relief payment for the elderly, disabled, among other things. So here's the thing. As more and more production starts to help, that's really going to help kind of ease this burden of, okay, you know, if we just have issues, if a refinery shuts down, if, if demand goes down, People are going to have to pay more. So, I mean, these two stories, Tavis, they tie neck and neck in together, even with the first one. Mm -hmm. It's good, though. At, ultimately, the baseline, that least common denominator for all of them is 
there is some activity, energy prices are coming down, and people are getting jobs, and I'm happy to see that. But I think that wraps up everything we've got for Wyoming, so let's take it to the land of the Titans down in the Permian, where members of Congress are pushing back on the EPA's threat to the Permian Basin. So the EPA is looking to declare the Permian Basin to be in a state of non-attainment due to ozone regulations and climate change goals. I would argue this was probably the biggest story of that month. Members of Congress from New Mexico and Texas are pushing back on the proposed new regulations on the ground that the EPA is using backdoor rulemaking. One congressman was even quoted as saying, quote, President Biden's policies are transforming the EPA into a club to bludgeon the fossil fuel industry, end quote. Other states, such as West Virginia, have also had trouble with EPA regulatory overreach involving oil and gas production, an industry that is vital to the state's survival. And th this is a tough one. Yes, the EPA is there to regulate, be a watchdog, and make sure the environment has protections. Still, I might agree with that congressman quote because you don't hear a lot of talk with the fertilizer industry or a lot of talk with construction. When you hear emissions anymore, EPA regulating emissions, it's almost always in the context of oil and gas. So I do see the frustration. Uh, and I couldn't agree more, Tavis. I mean, we've done stories about this. We've done periodicals about this. Monday Madness, Wacky Wednesday. We've talked about this so often that really the oil and gas and the energy industry is not the sole culprit of you know, let's just make it a general term for people to understand global warming. The thing is, there are so many other emissions-heavy industries that haven't been touched, haven't even been discussed. I mean, think about, like, the concrete industry. Mm -hmm. We've shown charts and pictures of how much emissions that they contribute. Nothing. Doesn't even make headline news. Mm -hmm. But anything like this will. And it's just, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and hopefully, Congress can continue to push back and continue to let the Permian thrive because, look, those are jobs. That's industry. Don't get me wrong. There are other industries, you know, like the construction industry that would be harmed if further regulations go in. But, hey, if you're going to start regulating one, how about we regulate them all? But enough of that. Let's talk about the $1.2 billion in sales of Permian Ooh. Basin lands in New Mexico announced as fuel demand grows. The Permian Basin continues to heat up, both literally and figuratively, <laughs> as more and more land is bought up, particularly on the New Mexico side of the border. Earthstone Energy recently announced the acquisition of all the assets owned by Titus Oil and Gas Production for about $627 million. Cityo Royalties also spent a few hundred million, 550 in fact, to grow its footprint in the Permian. Many companies are following the trend of selling assets outside of Texas and New Mexico to consolidate their portfolio on what they see as the most productive oil basin in the country. And we talked about this before. Now is the time for companies, well, at least it seems super majors are trying to consolidate, trying to have a pretty uniform portfolio. If it doesn't fit, it's in the Appalachia region and is not the same as the Permian, it might be easier and from an operational perspective to get rid of that and focus more on what they know. Does that lead a lot of room for innovation? No. Does that leave a lot of room for other smaller players to sort of get involved? Yes. So there's trade-offs all around, but yeah, super majors are trying to stick to what they know. Seems like make cookie-cutter programs and just keep those numbers up. But that is all we've got for not Texas, just the Permian, because we've got to take it to the Eagleford, where admittedly the news has been slow lately. We're getting back into that sort of time where it's becoming business as usual, but we do have some acquisition news. 
Dos Caminos, joint venture between Howard Energy Partners and Eagle for Midstream, LP, announced the expansion of its natural gas transportation system. The expansion will increase their capabilities to gather, treat, and transport natural gas produced from the Austin Chalk and the Eagleford Shale plays. Once the expansion is complete, the system will be able to perform two times its current capacity of 1 billion cubic feet per day. This is great. It's setting up the foundation for when more business does come to the Eagleford, because I do think it's slept on, not to say nothing's going on there, but clearly, if there's 1 billion cubic feet per day being taken away and they're looking to double that capacity, there's interest. Clearly there is interest because Freehold Royalties has entered into an agreement with two private sellers for assets in both Midland and Eagleford Basins. The assets total $155 million, 123 of which is in Midland, and 32 in the Eagleford. The assets include mineral title and royalty assets and are expected to add approximately 1,100 barrel of oil equivalent per day in production volumes. Handoff is expected to take place mid-March. Like we said, pretty quiet otherwise for the month, but there is still stuff going on in the Eagleford and also stuff going on in Oklahoma where, unfortunately, we had one oil field worker killed in an Oklahoma oil rig accident. The major county sheriff's office announced the death of a laborer working about 130 miles northwest of Oklahoma City. Jerry Pollard of El Reno, Oklahoma, was pulled into a cable winch drum at the rig owned by Stride Energy LLC while working for Orco Services. Operations on the rig have been shut down while the U.S. Occupational Safety and Health Administration and Oklahoma medical examiners investigated the incident that has meanwhile been ruled as an accident. The incident is a reminder to those in industry of how important safety is, and we just get to toss these in every once in a while. Is it happy news? No. Is it fun news? Not at all. Not something we like to talk about in the podcast too much, but safety is important. At the end of the day, with Wyoming getting more activity, people in the Eagleford getting excited to work, you have to remember that people are going to be that primary commodity that gets work done. So, hey, everyone out there, make sure you're taking the time to be safe and hopefully get home to your families at the end of the day. Couldn't have said it better myself, Tavis, and, and everyone here at Rare Petro is, you know, hoping that the, the family of the Jerry is um, doing well. But on a continuing somber note, oil spills shut down City Park. On the morning of the 5th of July, just after the festivities had wrapped up, drilling fluid began to spill into a city park, getting into nearby ponds. The city of Krill woke up to a park blocked off by cones as the spill was being investigated and cleaned up. Nearby Kichi trails were also affected and were being blocked off while teams were busy cleaning up the mess. The spill came from the Stellar Drilling Plant, where foul play is believed to have taken place. The Oklahoma Corporation Commission reported that Stellar claims a person cut a chain-link fence and opened their valves, causing over 5,900 barrels to be released. The local police department has yet to release an official statement. I hope this was just some dumb, dumb kids and not anyone acting truly maliciously. I agree, but but here's the thing, Tavis, that makes me upset. Chain link fence cut, someone intentionally trying to get in there, valves that have safeties on them to make sure people don't just bump into them. This is just something that you hate to see and, and really, really some somber news in the scoop stack this month. Yeah... Not too great, but we do have some, I will say, entertaining news, so hang around until the end. But until we get there, California, where they're not counting methane leaks from idle wells. California is known for some pretty strict environmental regulations, though environmentalist things should get and could get even tighter. CalGem monitors methane emissions of producing assets all across the state, 
but they do not include emissions from some 35,000 idle wells. Cesar Aguirre, a community organizer with the Central California Environmental Justice Network, says, quote, It's clear that they are willing to ignore the public health emergency. Our communities are done waiting. CalGEM needs to do their job, end quote. Whether or not CalGEM rises to the occasion is unknown, but Governor Gavin Newsom has penned in legislation that will work to get methane monitoring satellites into orbit. Operating in California is already tough, but it could just get that much tougher, and I was even talking to an operator yesterday here in Bakersfield who he expects it's right around the corner. And, and here's the thing. I am not typically a fan of CalGEM moves, but I think this is something that needs to happen. I mean, methane leaks from old things all the time. We're seeing it all over the place. We're seeing everywhere, and everyone has noticed that, look, this is a huge source of methane leaks. Let's fix them. The fact that California, of all places, is just ignoring them, it's kind of surprising. <laughs> right, because if CalGEM doesn't do it, who does it fall on? The Air Resources Board? Well, they don't really understand the context of oil and gas, so I, like you, am just quite surprised we haven't gotten there yet. But in terms of also goofy legislation, California cities are banning new gas stations in order to battle climate change. A new movement is spreading across the Bay Area. Cities in California are becoming first in the nation, actually first in the world, to ban the construction of new gas stations. Even L.A.'s director of environmental affairs may want to get on board. Quote, L.A.'s enormous and damaging ecological footprint really helps put us on the path. Schrader, the director, said at a recent conference about gas station prohibitions across California. Quote, if you have lung cancer, you stop smoking. If your planet's on fire, you stop pouring gasoline on it. End quote. Opinions from the city seem to be generally in favor of banning additional gas stations and having the general public switch to EVs, a move becoming more and more popular thanks to Newsom's banning of gasoline vehicles by 2035. And I wanted to throw this article in there because that quote, if you have lung cancer, you stop smoking. If your planet's on fire, you stop pouring gasoline on it. That's obviously politically charged, but just not constructing more gas stations isn't really going to stop people from using cars, especially if those people cannot afford a new EV vehicle. Exactly. And, and here's the thing. Now, this is new construction. Yes. But gas stations do get aged and they do kind of you know go out of business. And maybe this doesn't necessarily apply to, say, like a remodel. But here's the thing, Tavis. When you start taking away gas stations, and like you said, some people that can't afford an electric vehicle, they're still going to have to go to gas stations to fill up their car. What if now the closest gas station to you is 10 miles away? Now you're forcing people to A, drive further, which is creating more emissions. B, it's you know time out of their schedule. C, money out of their wallet. And then D, what if they get there and it's full and they have to wait in a 30-minute line? Well, it's California. It's hot in the summer. They're going to leave their car on. Boom. More emissions. It's just – it's not well thought through. And, and I think what they need to do is, okay – Maybe start phasing these out after that 2035 deadline when you're not selling those gas cars anymore. Okay, maybe that makes more sense. But now, when people are still relying on this, come on, California, put a little thought to this. Right, well-intentioned but poorly executed seems to be a theme we see with California a lot, but rather than rag on them anymore, I'm going to move it over to the Marcellus, where courts are blocking Pennsylvania's carbon emission plan. Governor Wolf attempted to implement a carbon tax program for the energy industry in Pennsylvania. Under this policy, power plants using coal, oil, or natural gas are forced to purchase credits for each ton of carbon dioxide they release. One of the greatest emitters and power producers in the country is Pennsylvania. 
A preliminary injunction issued by Commonwealth Court prevents the Wolf administration from, quote, implementing, administering, or enforcing, end quote, the carbon pricing policy, which has long been the cornerstone of the Democratic governor's strategy to combat global warming and is intended to reduce carbon dioxide emissions from power plants. Power Pennsylvania Jobs Alliance, a coalition of industry and labor groups, argued that the policy would actually increase energy prices for consumers. The group called the ruling, quote, a significant win for working families. I totally get where they're coming from. Carbon tax programs have usually been proven to do that, drive energy prices up. But again, I get what Governor Wolf's trying to do. This plan between coal, oil, natural gas is scaled based for how much carbon dioxide they release. So it's going to disincentivize more coal and probably incentivize more natural gas, maybe oil. So I get both sides. I don't know what the solution is. I don't work on a government level, but I am excited to see what they eventually compromise on. And, and I agree with you, Tavis, and I think that the key part that I want to bring up that you mentioned is the scalability of this. It's it's not just a flat baseline of, okay, there's a carbon tax. You burn carbon, you pay this tax. It's no, you know, more carbon-intensive things get taxed more. Makes more sense. You're polluting more. And so kind of like you said, yes, it's encouraging kind of a, a greener shift, but it's not necessarily saying, oh, you have to go the renewable route. Oh, you have to go this route. It's saying, okay, if you want to continue to go down this path of fossil fuels, this is what it's going to cost. And I think that that's fantastic. So kind of like you said, Tavis, I'm excited to see how this is implemented. And who knows, maybe in a few months we'll be talking about this in other states. Let's talk about the Mountain Valley Pipeline as they seek another project extension. Virginians continue to disagree on the pipeline's future as Mountain Valley Pipeline asks for an additional four years to complete the long-delayed project. The pipeline is intended to transport natural gas from the Marcellus Shale regions into Virginia. The first certification for Mountain Valley Pipeline expired in October of 2020. The FERC approved a two-year extension, and it's scheduled to expire in October 2022. The businesses asked the FERC in June to extend its certification till October of 2026, claiming that it had, quote, continued to actively progress construction on the project but has continued to experience delays due to litigation and subsequent agency remands related to certain permits and authorizations, end quote. The corporation won't be able to continue working without the extension, but this outcome is anticipated to result in additional legal disputes. And here's the thing. I hate when things get delayed and delayed and delayed, but it sounds like it's out of their control. Litigation, lawsuits, delays in permits. If you can't work because of a government agency is not letting you work, shouldn't they allow you to continue to work until the work is done? That's what I think, because like we're seeing with this, this is a great strategy to fight the construction of pipelines. And then what do we get? Rails that run along the Colorado River. I mean, it's so difficult to run this segment because we talk about a lot of things that are just so gray. Yes, there's stakeholders on both sides that have something they want to prevent or protect. And I just, I don't know where the compromise lies. I wish I was so pro-oil that I'd be like, ah, yeah, screw the environmentalists, because it'd be easier that way. But I get it. Everybody wants a little bit. But enough talk of the Marcellus. Let's take it over to our neighbors in the Bakken as we wrap up our final basin here of our July basin breakdown, where a pilot project for EOR was just approved by the Public Service Commission. Continental Resources will be building a 3.1-mile natural gas pipeline to bring gas from WBI's pipeline to the Buddy Domingo oil well pad in Williams County. The gas will be used for enhanced oil recovery. 
the huff and puff technique has been well utilized across the United States, but not as frequently in the Bakken oil field. Through this pilot project, Continental will assess the economic and technical feasibility of enhanced oil recovery in the Three Forks and Bakken formations. Continental is optimistic about this outcome, and I think this is awesome because, look, again, they're using spare gas. This isn't necessarily, oh, you know, we're drilling more wells to get natural gas to perform this EOR. It's gas that's already there. They just need to build a three-mile pipeline. You know how short that is, Tavis? That can oh. be done in a few months. This is just, I'm excited to see this pilot project. And then uh, the last story, we're closing out on kind of a crazy note, but four North Dakota men were accused of stealing $2.4 million of crude oil. According Man, to how is that even possible? Oh, you're about to find out. According to reports from representatives of Crestwood Midstream, there were 149 deliveries of stolen oil between November 2020 and March 2022, according to McKenzie County Court records. 34,199 barrels, totaling more than $2.4 million, have been found to have been stolen by four men through this period. The sheriff's office claimed the men would skim oil they were scheduled to unload and store it within two of their own tanks, where they would then sell it themselves. The leader of the outfit, Michael Garcia, claims, quote, There are a lot of trucking companies out here that skim oil. Everybody does it. It's very easy. You can manipulate the numbers. End quote. I love how he's not apologetic at all, but... $2.4 million between four dudes just over a two-year period? My God, they got a little greedy with it, no? Dude, that's almost 300 barrels per delivery. That doesn't Tavis, sound that like skimming. 230 <laughs> barrels per delivery. That's not skimming. That's, that's no, just that's taking, taking half, half the oil load. you're delivering and keeping it yourself. Oh, I, I, I love it. I love it. I love this story. It's funny. You know, it's pretty inconsequential. I think there's probably insurance in place to make sure the companies get their oil back and their money back. But it just felt like some cowboy shit. Oh, some cowboy stuff. And I was really happy to see this story. <laughs> Can I say cowboy shit? Yeah. <laughs> but... Ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of this podcast. We hope you had a little bit of fun, learned a little something, and enjoyed informing yourself on the state of the industry. We love to do this research all the time. If you get a little lonesome, you want to see some more Kevin and I, we have several years of these podcasts backlogged, including other podcasts. We even did the periodical podcast for a while where Kevin wrote these really phenomenal pieces looking at, uh, well, energy in the context of COVID 2020 and predictions for the future. Honestly, you should go check those out and see how they panned out because the man is a bit of an oracle himself. But this has been <laughs> Davis Killian and Kevin Olson with Rare Petro. Until we see you next time, take care, everybody. Take care.